What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. I'm your host, Reed Coverdale. It's been, I think, a couple weeks since I put an episode out. I was uh, on vacation up in Maine throughout Thanksgiving week, and I just started a new job last week. Um, I I know I posted on socials that I'm starting a new job on Monday. It's I technically started this Monday, but I didn't actually start doing my job until this coming Monday. I we we have a vacuum truck that um, we just ordered, and it was getting finished up this week, so I was just doing kind of busy work but i'm gonna start doing that full time uh on monday so i'll be i'll be sucking even more than usual um but yeah there's a lot that's happened in the last couple weeks um elon musk has officially taken to twitter i don't i can't remember if that had already happened um before uh a couple weeks ago it's all kind of blending together now uh but there's been all sorts of crazy shit going on with that trump's back on twitter now um Kanye West has been making some spicy tweets and also causing all sorts of havoc um you know on uh, shows that he's been on so it's been pretty chaotic to witness it's been a lot of fun and pretty hilarious to watch at the same time so um my friend Jacob Winograd who is a Christian but was raised I, th- I think raised in a Jewish family I know he was bar mitzvah as a kid and everything um, he and I did an episode, I don't know, it might've been two months ago now, it was a while ago where we actually talked about some of the stuff you're not allowed to talk about relating to Jewish people. Like what is anti-Semitism? What isn't anti-Semitism? What should be off limits? What should be, uh, you know, open for discussion, just kind of delving into all of it. And, um, we never, I never put the episode out. I was going to listen to it again to see if I really wanted to actually put it on YouTube. This one was pre-recorded, and I never did. So um, I'm just going to have him on live, and we're just going to hope for the best. We're, we're just going to see what happens. So from the Biblical Anarchy podcast, everyone's favorite three-name uh, you know, Christian anarchist, Jacob Daniel Winograd, Biblical Anarchy. How are we doing tonight, man? <laughs> doing good, man. Doing good. Uh I need to start actually like messing with the names when I'm on StreamYard and stuff. Put something up different each time. Yeah, yeah, you should. It's uh, it's always. Um, I don't I don't even know what your name is anymore. You know, I just you're like the Trinity, the three in one, Jacob Daniel yes. Winograd, but yes. you're also just one person. You know, three well, names I've, but one guy. There, so like this is the next level. Like there's people who try to be anonymous on social media, but I just put so much confusion out there as to like who I really am that you know there, there's really not much you can do yeah no that's actually smart because i think that's how they mostly do it nowadays i mean they don't really have to censor as Who's much they? if they just that's what we're going to get into here <laughs> but uh yeah they, they don't have to censor nearly as much because they uh they could just flood the market with bullshit and no one ever pays attention you know but um uh, you know, you know, you don't have to specifically necessarily go through and censor everything that you don't want people to find out about. You just flood the market with dumb shit that no one will, you know, so much so that no one will even look for the truth anymore. That's how. I actually that's had what my I first uh, YouTube strike this week, but it was it was dumb. It wasn't even over anything. Like, there's plenty of stuff I've said that, like, if it was taken down, I would have been like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But they took down an old video from like a year ago, and they flagged me for misinformation about the 2020 election. 
Mm-hmm. And all I said was Republicans believe that the election was stolen. It's like that. Yeah, you can't really call that misinformation. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, like the fact that you are going after people for spreading misinformation is proof that there are people out there who believe that. Right. Like if they, if it wasn't true, then you wouldn't be going after people. It's like, anyway, I just, I appealed it and they denied it. Then I tweeted at YouTube on Twitter and they were like, oh, we'll look into it. I was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So let, there's, here's a good question. Let's just get right into it. It says, so he is an ex Jew relating to you. So I'm not sure how this works. If it's like in the Marine Corps, you know how in the Marine Corps, like one, you're once a Marine, always a Marine. Like, I'm not sure if it being Jewish is the same way. So can you explain how this works? Like, are you a Christian Jew? Are you just a Christian? Or like, can you actually leave the Jewishness behind? Is it something that's that follows you for the rest of your life? How, how does this work? Just so people know. Right. So uh, my dad was raised Jewish and then converted to Christianity, but still identified as a Jew. So I was raised as a not like we weren't officially uh, like Messianic Jews, but it's essentially kind of how I was raised, you know. So like we practiced Hanukkah, we practiced the feasts, we practiced Passover. My dad studied Hebrew and stuff and tried to, you know, teach us Jewish traditions and whatnot that he grew up with. But we believed in Jesus as Messiah and we went to a Christian church. We didn't go to a messianic synagogue mainly because i think there was like none around us so uh that wasn't really an option but my dad's always you know kind of led with his jewish identity first i have a lot of jewish family so i was very much raised in sort of uh, i mean both a christian but also jewish culture so gotcha so i really don't like the term jewish or jew because it's so vague like it doesn't like my name it's the same thing <laughs> yeah exactly like I, I don't know which it is you know it's like three things but which which one are we actually talking about at a given time yeah it's like so i feel like you know using if you like if someone says i'm a jew i don't even know what that means off like if they just tell me that it's like okay so does that mean you know you believe in the jewish religion uh does that mean you're israeli does that mean that your mother was Jewish. Does that mean that you celebrate Hanukkah? Like, I mean, it's just such a vague thing to say, and it can go in so many different directions. I really don't like using that term at all. I try to stay away from using the term because it's so ambiguous. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, I I, I just tell people that I'm part Jewish because it's the most accurate term. But, you know, it, it is a little bit ambiguous, and you have the sort of like so so you have people especially like jewish people will kind of you know the rule is like if your mother's jewish you're jewish but if not then you're not really jewish so i don't have a jewish mother so technically to a lot of you know orthodox jews or even just uh you know cultural jews i wouldn't be on the same playing field i guess as as they are even though i was raised in a lot of the same culture and stuff. No, never mind. <laughs> yeah. that, that's going to come up a lot during this. I know episode. it is. <laughs> uh, get it out. We should get it out of our systems now, though. Um, so, but then you have like you know being culturally Jewish, which like even though I, you know, and, and also like I think most people like if doesn't matter whose side of your family it is on. Like if your if your dad was um, Irish, you would say I'm part Irish, right? So it's like. I might not be Jewish according to like 
the the Jewish definition for it, but I'm part Jewish, you know, Jewish. Uh, I always tell people like I'm Jewish enough that I'm pretty sure I would have ended up in concentration camps in Nazi Germany. So I, I think that that's passing enough. But uh, you know, then but yeah, so you you have like the ethnic component, you have a cultural component, then you have a religious component, and you know the it can be very difficult when you're having conversations with people about just anything related to Jews or Judaism, because you kind of have to define how you're talking about the term in that conversation. Um, And, you know, some people have tried to come up with different terms. Like, you know, if you're talking about the Jewish faith, you just call it Judaism, Um, you know, but then it's like, well, how do you like a practicer of Judaism is a Jew um, you know, you know, so, it, and then if you say if someone is, so you have to just kind of, instead of someone Jewish, you say they are a practicing Jew or something like that. And that's a less clumsy way to phrase it, uh, so to speak. Or you can say someone's ethnically Jewish, or you can say someone's, you know, culturally Jewish. So it, it's a little bit, it's a little bit ambiguous, like, you know, but I don't think that's, I think that's true for more than just uh Jews you know I think that's true for other ethnicities as well but I think there's just so much because of the Holocaust and because of Israel and Zionism there's an extra level of like eyes and scrutiny being put on the conversation itself that makes it um more difficult or uncomfortable to have also someone said my this fish in my background is not a coexist fish. This is a <laughs> this is a Jesus anarchist fish. It's the so. same guy that said uh, that was asking the question. I think so. Yeah. Um. Make that clear. Well, I mean, what the only other area I see it like even close to the amount of ambiguity is with Muslim. You know, like it's, it's a lot of people. Yeah. So liberals, especially, like they'll conflate Islam with, you know. Arab being Arabic, you know, and um, those are two, there are two distinct words there. Like there's Muslim and Arabic, you know, you're from the Arab world doesn't necessarily mean you are Muslim or you can be Muslim. You don't have to be from the Arab world. It's like not quite the same, you know, it's not necessarily the same word, but a lot of liberals try to obfuscate those two things and, you know, um, make them into kind of the same thing. So if you're criticizing Islam, you are criticizing a culture and a race of people in an area of the world where, no, I mean, if you're going to criticize Islam, you should be allowed to criticize those ideas without necessarily putting all these people groups and everything about them into it just because you don't agree with their religion. But it's like that on steroids with, with the word Jewish. Yep. No, I agree. And you know, one of the things we talked about on that unaired podcast is that I, I think, you know, Douglas Murray talks about how, like, in our sort of, like, post-World War II society where people are becoming increasingly secular, people haven't come up with a good alternative to Christianity, and there could be one, right? Like, just for sake of argument, I'm not trying to be too heavy on the the Christianity here, you know— we don't have to get into that right now, at least. But we could just posit for uh, sake of argument that there could be secular modes of morality that society could adopt that could fill the gap that Christianity uh, filled if people are going to turn away from that. But even if that hypothetically exists, they haven't 
you know, found that yet. And the sort of super morality that has sort of taken foot in Western culture uh, as people move away from Christianity is basically founded on like a hyper focus on World War II and especially the Holocaust. And it's like everything is filtered through we can't be Nazis. And the Holocaust was the worst thing that ever happened. Now, to be clear, yeah, Nazis were awful and the Holocaust was terrible. And we should be careful to not diminish that, I think. But there are other regimes that happened around the same time that killed more people. And there are other regimes currently, on like right now in real time, that are doing very similar things. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be careful. I, I think... The only thing worse than diminishing the Holocaust by, you know, acting like it didn't happen or by, you know, uh, other other ways of uh, just trying to overlook it is talking about the Holocaust and trying to pay lip service to the fact that, you know, in the same way as 9-11, like never again, we can't let this happen. And you say that, but you continue to support all the modern-day versions of the Holocaust right now. I think that's a worse way to diminish the the loss of life, the, 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 all the lives that were killed by the Nazis, is to be historically and, you know, his- historically ignorant and even ignorant today of all the other regimes doing the same things. Yeah, I agree with that on a couple levels. Like, one ignoring the atrocities that are taking place today, but also ignoring how we got to the place that the Holocaust happened in the first place. Um, I feel like we learn a lot of history from 1941 on or 1939 on, maybe if you're you pay attention a little bit more, but you never learn about 1918 to 1939 which is very formative in Germany. You know, there's rampant inflation. Uh, the Bolsheviks are kind of, in, you know, invading from the East and, uh, you know, partially through immigration, you know, and society's falling apart and there's all this crazy shit going on. So you have these people who, you know, are not intrinsically evil somehow or something it's not like they just have this innate hatred toward jewish people or something the way that it starts is through uh, you know you have this you have this time of desperation and sane people will start listening to insane people who have solutions right like we um, you know, I'm going to bring Germany back to the way it used to be. We're going to protect your family. You're going to have a solid job again. And so this guy, see, regardless of anything kind of crazy that he might say, this guy seems the most sane out of everything that's going on. And I mean, uh, to put a more contemporary flavor on it um, with radical Islam, you know, like pe- people don't naturally like isis or al-qaeda like they're not attractive to most people in the middle east but when you drop a bomb on somebody's neighborhood and you kill their mother-in-law and their wife and their kids and their brother-in-law and you know injured half a dozen people or something like that suddenly makes isis and al-qaeda not seem so crazy anymore suddenly they seem like the same people in the room so to further and to further support your point quickly, there are people born here in America who fall uh, under the influence of radical 
Islam. So if like people in not to say that there aren't people living in maybe less than ideal circumstances here, a lot of times the people that do fall into that here have <clears throat> some kind of complicated background or trauma. But it just goes to show that if if people here can find themselves, you know, radicalized by, you know, the call to Islamic jihad, then even more so the kind of situation you're describing can definitely happen. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of people nowadays, they think this just springs up out of nowhere and everybody just starts hating some other group of people for no reason at all. And I think that's just very naive to think that way about anything. It's you know, just like a bigotry. Yeah, <laughs> and the other thing is like not allowing questioning of something. You know, I, I think that's just the, the worst thing you can ever do on so many levels. But if you, uh, so like with the 2020 election, like if you're not allowed to ask questions about it, of course, people are going to be led to the assumption that, you know, it was stolen. Like, I mean, what do you expect them to think? Like if they're not allowed to question it, like that, of course, they're going to end up thinking that or, uh, but another thing like right now, um, you know, every everyone's anti-Semitism sensors are on, you know, set to high right now. And any criticism of Jewish organizations or of Israel or of Zionism or whatever is like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't talk about that. You can't talk about that. And you have a bunch of people suddenly realizing this and wondering, why can't I talk about this? Like, why am I not allowed to? And if they're not allowed to talk about it and explore the extremely um obvious things that you and i have talked about before on this show and on your show and you know relating to uh foreign policy goals of israel and uh furthering certain organizations that have like a protected status or whatever like if you're not allowed to ask about that then you start to come up with some scary uh answers to why this is all happening and you start to listen to some crazy people that you really shouldn't be listening to and i mean to me this is kind of obvious but a lot of people don't seem to realize that that's how people end up going down that path. No, I, I think that's true. I, I think it's true, you know, for people who fall down the anti-Semitic JQ rabbit hole. I think it's true for people who fall down, like even like into other forms of uh, alt-right identitarianism. You know, it, it's people like a, a similar thing is people fall into the rabbit hole of like, obsessing over race and iq uh like stefan molyneux an old libertarian uh vo voice kind of fell down that rabbit hole and some people followed him and people people make that same argument they're like oh you're not allowed to talk about race and iq so clearly this is you know something that is true and you know <laughs> there are races that are superior to others based upon iq um you know and then rather than scientists or people who are looking into the subject and kind of like you know just taking on the arguments of like race essentialists head on people just suppress speech about that and then the only people that go people going down that rabbit hole end up talking to or are other people who already have those same ideas and rather than talking to people and kind of going through the studies and kind of explaining how you know iq is a imperfect metric how you know environmental factors play a huge role in it uh kind of just going into like well what is race even and also like you know iq is there's spatial reasoning and then there's uh you know like 
mathematics and there's just different areas of intelligence and IQ is, you know, not a perfect measure of all of those. And, you know, there's other and people use like race and IQ as a explanation for disparity in crime and and disparities in economic uh, outcomes, even though people like, you know, uh, Thomas Sowell come up with better explanations for those disparities without resort. So it's like you can actually have a conversation with someone and debunk their arguments. And I've actually done that with people who've gone down that rabbit hole and helped mm-hmm. them to, you know, even sometimes not all at once, but I've helped them to over time, not go further down that rabbit hole and to not be completely radicalized into like race essentialism and the, you know, more radical alt-right uh, you know, extreme ideologies. But in the same way that, you know, that doesn't happen a lot in that area, you see the same thing with this, this whole Jewish thing is that people start asking questions and it, it, it falls under such heavy scrutiny that people think that, you know, there's some, and, and to some extent, like they, they think there's some major conspiracy and like there sort of is, I mean, like, I, you know, I, I obviously don't think it is, the extent to which, you know, people like Kanye Yester West are going on and talking about. But I do think there are definitely special interest groups out there related to Israel and Zionism that definitely push for, you know, criticisms of Israel and Zionism and even, you know, Judaism and, 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 and things like that to be suppressed to some extent um, because they're, they're kind of this special protected interest group. And, that's just not a good way to uh, handle things. I think to I'll end on this. I think, and I know Tim Pool, someone that like you're you're not like the biggest fan of, but I actually I really like the point he made on his podcast after Kanye stormed out on it. He was like, "This is just proves wrong." Everyone who was giving me shit about platforming him, he's like, "It's so dumb." He's like, "Sunlight's the best disinfectant," and Kanye coming on here to talk. And then getting butt hurt like that and then leaving the minute I provided like just like not even like really pushback, just asked him a question is, you know, the really like the best argument against these people's ideas. And like, I think that, you know, if you really want to push back against anti-Semitism, the first thing you have to do is not be afraid to talk about Judaism and Zionism and all these things, because I think if you just deal with the facts on the ground and don't run away from them, you end up at the truth, which is that there are some people in positions of power who happen to be Jewish, and they certainly have a vested interest in, you know, Zionism and Jewish nationalism and things like that, and they use their power in corrupt ways. But for every one of those, you have a lot of other Jewish people that are just regular, ordinary people going out there living lives and don't really think about these things or you have you know some of the most amazing thinkers and contributors to libertarianism have been uh jewish people like murray rothbard or dave smith or etc so it's it's only you know i i think sunlight is the best disinfectant and when you don't have that battle of ideas it's kind of like in austrian economics how like artificial money and spending and stuff like that creates uh, like mal investing and sort of like, um, like almost like cancerous growths in the free market, and that's kind of what happens when you suppress free speech. 
is that you create these artificial problems that if you just allowed the free market to handle them, they'd solve themselves. Yeah, I mean, the sunlight being the best disinfectant, um, there are people with way crazier ideas than Kanye West um, who like actually think that Jewish people should be deported or killed or whatever. And if you like, if you ask those people, Hey, what do you think we should do to the Jews? And they have to answer in some sort of public forum or somewhere where they're going to be in front of a lot of people and their answer is going to be, you know, up for criticism. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, they, they tend to be like, well, you know, we might, I mean, they, they, they won't, they usually won't even say it out loud. They'll usually be like, they'll try to take a couple steps back and like try to cloak what they're trying to say. Or if they are the type, they'll just be bold and say like, yeah, you know what? We need to kill these people or whatever. Like everyone listening will be like, holy shit, this guy is insane. So, I mean, if you're censoring it, all it does is give them a chance to like crawl back into the shadows where they can slowly build a loyal group of followers who are, you know, accustomed to what they're saying already, or they never have to actually answer to those types of questions. They can just talk about the problems they're seeing and, you know, without ever getting into the ugly nitty gritty of what they actually want to do. And therefore they're never like put on display as the absolute maniacs that they are. So yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I think you're I think you're right on when you say that. Like, if someone is really a legit neo-Nazi, the best thing you can do is just let them talk. You don't even necessarily need to ask them questions or like you know push back. It's more just hey, please explain your entire philosophy and how you actually want to do this, and it's probably not going to go very well for them. Yeah, exactly. Just just like there's a lot of like some of the the uh, radical anti-Semitism you see is like people who take things out of the ta the Talmud or uh, the Jewish religion and, and like take them out of context and spin them and try to say like, Oh, you know, Jews are pedophiles and it's right in their religion and it says it right there. And if you, if you just clutch your pearls at that and go like, you know, Greta Th Thunberg, how dare you? And, and don't respond to it. People just go like, they just, they keep that meme in their head and then mm -hmm. they keep repeating it to their friends. Whereas like another thing I've done with people who have, uh, you know, made those claims is like, all right, like let's go and read the, you know, entire Talmud. Now I'm, I'm not Jewish religiously. So I, there's things in the Talmud I don't agree with, but like you read through it and then you see how a lot of claims that are being put out there are, are taken out of context. So um or or just like completely misinterpret like you know mistranslated or or made up so um you know there are things in jewish religion that i think are legitimate to criticize you know i think we can criticize jewish religion i think we can criticize the muslim religion i think you can you know you have criticized christian religion while i've been on your show and mm -hmm. i don't lose my freaking mind about it so you know it's it's not that i'm um saying we can't criticize things but we should try to criticize accurate portrayals and and steel man the opposing side's arguments before we try to take them down um you know it, it doesn't really do anyone good to to deal in falsehoods but you can't ever get to the point of debunking the falsehoods 
unless you have the conversation. And when you don't have the conversation, just like you said, all people end up doing is falling into these, uh, you know, borderline or actual cults where, you know, it kind of like create like people look at someone like Nick Fuentes, who I think has like nothing really interesting to say, but they go, man, he's like the most canceled person in America because he he's telling so much truth. You know what I mean? Like people think that no one wants to debate him or or platform him because he's just saying so many true things. And it's like, well, no, not really. You know, people are deplatforming because they are offended by him. And that doesn't mean any of his ideas are right. But no one gets to see other than like, I think like the only meaningful debate I've ever seen Nick have is with Dave. And I think Dave went easy on him, to be honest. I think Dave could have gone... Uh, a lot harder on that debate, but I think Dave's always trying to be the nice guy when he's when he's dealing with, you know, anyone but figuratarians type people. Um, but yeah, I think for the most part, it's like if you get opportunities to let these people talk, let them and and rebut their ideas. Don't just you know respond with being offended. Yeah, I mean, I I think you know there's a couple of different angles here. So from the libertarian perspective, the criticism is of the state of Israel and Zionism. But from a personal perspective, I also have criticisms of the religion of Judaism. And then I think it's also completely fair to criticize Jewish culture, just like it's completely fair to criticize American culture or, uh, you know, Christian culture or uh, secular culture, like whatever label you want to put it. I don't think any of these things should be off limits to talk about like i mean it's just kind of weird to me that this is one that's so taboo and i think you're right that a lot of it stems from the holocaust and from israel and zionism it's just like this you know this really unique situation that we're in with this particular subject but a lot of people you know they'll always like say look i'm not talking about the religion and i'll be like well I don't know. I kind of am like I <laughs> I am critical of Judaism, not just Zionism. But, you know, I think that Zionism is in large part excused by Judaism and then also by Christianity in a large part. Like I, I feel like um, I tend to feel like the people in power don't actually believe the religions. Maybe that's not true, but I feel like, you know, Netanyahu, I, I kind of doubt that he's really a convicted religious man. Maybe he is, I don't know, but I feel like people at that level, they're just using it as a, um, you know, they're just using it as mind control basically to get what they want. Like, maybe that's not true, but that, that one, that's just too far out there to really know if it's true. But for sure, whether or not the people in charge of you know, these governments and these institutions, if they actually believe any of this stuff, a lot of the people who support it do believe in this stuff. They do believe in Armageddon. They do believe that the end of the world's coming and that yeah. uh, Jerusalem has to be the capital of Israel, whatever. Um, so I think it's completely fair game to criticize the religions because I think that's where a lot of this stems from. And you can criticize oh, yeah. the political uh aspect of it all day the statist aspect of it but at the end of the day for me as an individual i'm gonna be like yeah well there's a reason a lot of people support this and it's because they believe this superstition and but i wanted you to address zionism like why as a christian you're not zionist like where 
Um, I know we've talked about this before on the show, but yeah, what is the new Israel? What is you know what does Jesus say differently than the Jewish religion? Like what what sets Christianity in the way you see it apart from Zionist religions? Right. So I think to answer your question, I'll start by actually going after Judaism a bit because then it leads into the Christian answer. I think I think Judaism does actually provide cover for Zionism and. That's a, that's a legit critique of the Jewish religion you can make because I think, you know, as a Christian, I think Jews are kind of like missing half the truth. And so the Jews think they're still waiting for the Messiah and they still think that, you know, the, the sort of like old covenant that like, you know, God promised Israel all this land and that they're supposed to be this great nation chosen by God. I think that plays a little bit into, not a little bit, I think it plays a lot into Zionism and um, a lot of like the powers that be doing all this cover and and advocating for all this you know uh, money and special interests and attention to go to Israel and this protection to go towards Israel and so you know fundamentally because I think the Jewish people rejected Jesus their religion is although it's has the same foundation as Christianity. It's kind of gone off the rails, so to speak, um, because of that. Um, when so to get into the Christian answer, when Jesus comes, you know, he is rejected as Messiah by the Jews because they were looking for a political savior. But Jesus said that my kingdom is not of this world, and that the kingdom that he has come to set in place is. Uh, a spiritual one, which is echoed by the apostles later when they say, you know, we don't struggle against flesh and blood, um, but against, you know, principalities and the forces of darkness and et cetera. So, you know, the a lot of the New Testament after the, you know, Gospels, Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is, is written by Paul, and Paul was a Jew who converted to Christianity, and so he spent a lot of time writing to Jews in the various books and kind of explaining to them, like, listen, like, um, you know, we have to stop looking at ourselves as this special chosen people. Jesus came to die for all, and he came to extend the promise that originally was to Abraham and the Jews, but now it's to everyone. It's to Jew and Gentile alike in in 1 Corinthians you get the passage where Paul says that in Christ Jesus, there is no Jew nor Greek. There is no male nor female. There is no slave or master. You know, we are all one in Christ. And, you, you know, you kind of eliminate this idea of, I mean, there's still like an elect and a chosen, but the chosen are just all of those who are saved by faith uh, in, in Christ and who have that grace put upon them. You know, and, and and there's also a strong push to reject works-based salvation, which Judaism is still sort of caught up in, and rather that salvation comes through saving faith um, that, that comes through revelation by the Holy Spirit. Where we get into, you know, you brought up, like, you know, who is the new Israel, and, and this gets a lot into eschatology and gets into, you know, you have to really, like, study the book of Revelations and... We don't have two hours here to do a <laughs> complete rundown of the book of Revelations, but it's a very complicated book. Um, you know, I, I think the book is much more an allegory about Nero and Rome than it is 
uh, a book about the end times and whatnot, but just sort of like, you know, I think any most books in the Bible are kind of like dual purpose. They have a contemporary message, but also like a, a message that applies to us today and applies in an eternal sense. So, you know, the only thing that, you know, I think all Christians of different eschatological belief systems agree is that, you know, Jesus is going to return. There's going to be like a new heaven and a new earth. But what sort of became popular in the evangelical wing of Christianity was this idea of uh, dispensationalism, which was kind of like a uh, pre-millennial view of, uh, of eschatology. And yeah, basically thinking that like, you know, Israel's got to be restored and that Israel plays an important part in the in the end times and in the second coming and all that, which completely just overlooks the fact that many times in the New Testament, when it talks about, you know, the new Israel, what it's talking about is the church. Because again, it goes back to that promise. And the the new Israel is the new nation, the new chosen elect by God, they're supposed to go out there and be salt and light and be a blessing to the world and to preach the good news. That's the church. <laughs> they are the inheritors of that, you know, original promise from that God gave to Abraham back in Genesis. So, yeah, I mean, I, I threw a lot about, a lot out there, uh, you know, on my podcast, I've, I've gone into this a few times, so I could provide some links if people want to know more of the nitty gritty nerdy breakdown of you know like I I take more of an amillennialist view when it comes to eschatology. There's pre-millennialism, post-millennialism, and amillennialism. But just that that's kind of like you know getting really deep into the details. I think the most important aspect to really hone in on is that the Jews rejected Jesus because he wasn't a political savior, and Christianity rejects. Uh, Zionism because it's going back into the idea of like Israel being the chosen nation and ignoring the fact that no there is no more chosen nation Jesus died for all people and there is no Jew nor Greek we are all one in Christ Jesus and the elect isn't a ethnic group we aren't called to you know restore you know something that was part of the old covenant you know the veil has been torn um, we don't need the old Jewish covenantal law that was for the Jews when they were separated from God before the Messiah came. Now that the Messiah has come, we no longer need the, t- the temple. We no longer need uh, the the tabernacle and that separation from God. He now dwells in us. So that's the Christian answer for, for why uh, I reject Zionism and um, and, and the new Israel is the church. Yeah. Well, so obviously I don't believe any of that, but I am glad that you approach it in that way. And I wish more American Christians did because I'm not sure of the percentages, but the number of Christian Zionists in the United States definitely is higher than the number of Jewish Zionists in the United States. And Christian Zionists have been more instrumental in voting for neocons throughout the 21st century. I mean, lots of um, American Jews tend to be more liberal. So lots of American Jews were actually against the Iraq war, even though it was in large part 
you know, an Israeli operation, basically. <laughs> I mean, a lot of it was to secure the realm for Israel, but a lot of American Jews were against that war because the liberals tended to be against George Bush and his invasion of Iraq. But man, a whole lot of Christian Zionists absolutely got on board with that and pushed for it hardcore and 100% voted for it. So, I mean, the Christian Zionist voting bloc is more responsible for a lot of these policies than, you know, American Jews are. So, I mean, and a lot of anti-Semites will actually overlook that fact. They won't even talk about that. That uh, Christian Zionism is actually more of a force in America's voting bloc than Jewish Zionism is. Oh, no, 100 percent. You know, Zionism is still a very prominent part part of the evangelical Christian movement, you know, especially in America. And I mean, I think it might not be as prevalent as it was when I was a kid, only because other issues have kind of started to take a forefront. But I remember back, you know, in the, you know, 2000 to 2008, 2012, I mean, you know, criticizing Israel and church was, you know, blasphemy mm-hmm. <laughs> um and again a lot of it was that you know dispensationalist mindset you know people were big into like the left behind uh movies and uh rapture theology and things like that and i think people have started to move away from that on a theological level to some extent but they haven't really given up their their zionism um you know that's just a lot of neocon brainwashing the idea that you know Israel's our greatest ally, and if we didn't have Israel over there, um, the Middle East would just be a completely Christian-hating, American-hating region, and they hate us for my freedoms, and you know, so we got to fight them over there, so we don't have to fight. You know, people, you know, I, I think people are, you know, and and I, I, to back up a second here, I see a lot of people on the right who are libertarians or libertarian adjacent overstating how the right is anti-war i think the right has become red-pilled on like this like nation building and you know going over there and trying to turn these places into democratic institutions and, and unless it's like iran that. right yeah <laughs> and i think for the most part they're they're kind of like you know kind of getting a little bit like yeah maybe we should stop going over there and arming these terrorist groups that come in and take over when we leave and they're just better armed and i'll give them credit for that but it i still think there's a lot of people who buy into just the mentality like all these are all you know uh christian hating american hating freedom hating evil people that um you know maybe we shouldn't occupy them and maybe we shouldn't bomb them out of existence but um i I still think they fundamentally are operating sometimes out of just all the propaganda that's been thrown their way about the Middle East. They're very ignorant still of the entire history. They don't know things about like, you know, our constant interference in Iran and overthrowing their government. Uh, And they don't understand the complexities of how disastrous the Iraq war was. They don't understand our relationship with the Saudis so there's a lot that they still really don't understand, and I, I think they're, um, we need to be careful to not let, you know, to, to not overestimate the knowledge or anti-war sentiment on the right. I mean, it, it, it's, it's better than it was 
during the 2004 George Bush years, but they're still not like they're not us. They're not anti-war libertarians. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. So let's get into who are who is they um, like I, I actually think this is an interesting subject. And um, I think that so I do think that there is a group of Zionists who have a lot of power, both politically and um you know, um, uh, socially, you know, um, in, in the media, like, I, I think that the media is very Zionist. I think that, uh, the, you know, the news is very Zionist. I think, you know, basically every institution in the United States is very Zionist. Like it's, it's a very American thing to be Zionist. And, um, I think that, you know, obviously in foreign policy on both sides of the aisle, everything is dominated by Zionism. I mean, there's only a couple dissenters on each side. Whenever they do dissent, they get called uh, evil anti-Semites or whatever. So it's obviously a culturally dominant thing in the United States. And I think that, you know, the vast majority of it is very, very negative and uh, serves a very uh, specific goal. Now, I don't think most people realize how deep this goes. And I also don't think that they realize like what the agenda is here. And I think that a lot of Christians and a lot of Jews just naturally support this because they think it's the right thing to do because it's in their religion to an extent. And then it's also just baked into the culture. Uh, the World War II complex we were talking about, like, obviously, that's still very prevalent throughout America. We defeated the Nazis. Uh, we saved the Jews, essentially, and we gave them a country. Like, that's just the way people look at it. Um, so I, I don't think, like, this is the, the fact that, like, so many people support this. That part, I don't think, is a conspiracy. Like, that just seems kind of natural to me that that is the way things would go just because of the propaganda and just because of people's understanding of history and because of the religious aspect like that just all makes sense to me. And then, you know, people who are not religious, like atheist Jews, it makes sense to me that they would naturally, you know, align with Zionist principles, even if they don't believe in the religion, because it seems to protect Jewish interests. And you would see that with any group of people like, uh, you know, uh, Christians or Muslims. And then like, if you're not uh, religious, you'd see it with like different ethnic groups, different cultures. Like they just tend to stick together and watch out for their own. It's not like this is some weird phenomenon. The only thing that is different about it is if you go after any of it, you just get unpersoned and you're just, your life is destroyed and your finances are taken away from you. So to me, that's the part that's, that's really the only part about this that is weird. The rest of it just seems kind of like, yeah, I mean, why wouldn't it be that way? Is that kind of how you look at it or what do you think? Yeah, no, I think I mostly agree with that. I think that there are, you know, like, like you, like I mentioned before, the, the strains of like, you know, post-World War II, the Holocaust was the worst thing that ever happened. And, um, and, and I think there's, the evangelical support for it I, I think there's this weird like it's like this guilt thing where it's like well and again it's it's like it's one of those things it's like it's not untrue right like the jewish people were largely sort of like 
discriminated against and sort of hated in a lot of the areas they were, and no one really wanted them. And, and in a way, Israel was sort of like created, and the Jews were funneled there by like Britain and stuff be- after, during, and after the war because it was like nobody wanted them. I mean, America was turning Jews away and stuff. So, um, like my my family when. Uh, my my Jewish family came here. You know, they got here illegally. <laughs> they didn't. They mm-hmm. didn't. Uh, you know, go through the the check ins and stuff. So, uh, hashtag build the wall. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that there's sort of like this guilt thing going on where people think, well, we owe the Jewish people this because of how terrible history has been to them. Now. My response to that, I mean, it, it's complicated, right? Like, I don't think it's fundamentally immoral if an ethnic group of people wants to gather together and live together. Right. So, like, go ahead and do that. The issue is, well, it's it's, it's layered, right? Like, you can't ask that you can't demand that people pay money to you to go create that ethnic society that you want to live in. Um, you can't also go take land that other people are living on (laughs) for yourself and do that to create your little ethnic paradise. And I also think it's just insane double standards that it's okay to spend millions of dollars, millions, really underestimating it there, billions of dollars in aid (laughs) to this ethnic nation while at the same time demonizing any other, not any other, I guess there's other group of people that are, the you know, that I guess there's some maybe like sympathy to if they want to form ethnic communities or whatnot or segregation. But for the most part, it's like any other ethnic group, if they talk about wanting to have their own nation, it's at least frowned upon. If it's white people wanting to do it, you're just automatically a Nazi. Um, but when Jewish people will do it, it's like, well, this is not only good, but this is the most important thing in the world and it has to be in where the Jews make their claim to ancient Israel and it has to be with the backing of uh, the Western powers and primarily America with billions of dollars sent there to make it happen. And the history there, you know, smarter people than me uh, and you have gone through the history of, of that. It certainly is convoluted um, and I won't generalize there. I think, you know, there, there there are steps along the way where if I'm trying to be charitable, I, you know, it, it's one of those things. It's like it kind of matters where you start the story, right? Because you can kind of frame the story and make it look good for one side if you started at a particular point, but don't look any further back. If you look back far enough, I think even a charitable taking uh, interpretation of it is that like, well, you know, Britain and America and the Western powers definitely, like, you know, put a bunch of explosives in and let the fuse, you know, and let let the fuse. Um, and I think I'm sympathetic to the fact that there was probably a lot of peaceful Jews that found their way there and were just like trying to find a peaceful place to live, and maybe they were kind of getting fed up of just like 
constantly moving around and being pushed from one place to another and felt like they needed to make some kind of stand to just be like, hey, we have a right to exist and not be like treated like cattle and killed. But unfortunately, I mean, we can get, you know, the history is what it is. What ended up happening is the creation of Israel and, and, and what Zionism ultimately ended up doing is they became the aggressors. And I think that that has continued into today. And again, like I said at the beginning, yeah, I mean, the Holocaust happened. De- debating that it didn't is stupid. Debating over the exact number is also stupid from both sides. It's stupid when people try to focus on, well, it wasn't 6 million, it was less. It's stupid if people get really offended if there are estimates out there that happen to be a little bit less. It's like, whatever, like, if it was 3 million or 30 million, it was still fucking horrible. There are definitely, there's definitely evidence of the piles of bodies and stuff. And, you know, it, it, it definitely, you know, near the end of the war, Hitler escalated the killings. It wasn't that bad the whole time, but it was definitely bad. Um, and it's not wrong to contemplate that and to be moved emotionally by the evil that humans are capable of unleashing against one another. But worse than forgetting that or discounting that is to use that as a justification to do that to a whole other group of people. And that is kind of, that's basically what's happening in, in Palestine right now. I mean, to the Palestinians and people can, you know, try to wiggle their way around it and say, it's not the same scale. It's not being done on the discrimination of rule of religion or race or et cetera. It's like, I, I, again, I don't, I don't think that's what fundamentally matters. Your, your motivations for, you know, land locking in a group of people and letting them, you know, forcing them to live in horrific living conditions and, uh, you know, bombing them, you know, innocent civilians. And I I hate the freaking excuse like, oh, well, the terrorists set that up. They, They launch missiles from on top of these schools. And so Israel has to level the school. It's like, the fuck kind of lot? Like, what, like... No, you you don't. I mean, and it's one of those things where, listen, I, I we don't want to live in Ancapistan in our head, right? Like, Israel's a nation now. Every nation that exists now has a murky history. And I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, Israel has to cease to exist, because that's just not, like, politically realistic right now. I think, I think insofar as nation-states are the current paradigm we live in, Israel has more or less the same right to exist as any other nation state because um, the history of most nation states is soaked in blood. So whatever. Let's say, just for sake of argument, even if you disagree with me, Israel has a right to exist. I'll go as far as to say Israel has a right to defend themselves if people are trying to attack them. But no nation, whether it's America, whether it's Russia, whether it's Israel— has a right to, in their acts of defending themselves, justify the killings of hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians. You can find ways to defend yourselves and keep your people safe without justifying the mass murder 
of innocent people on the other side. And on top of that, if Israel really cared about their safety, they would be trying to find ways to negotiate for peace and, nego- and, and find ways to give the Palestinian people like full access to citizenship and rights within those borders, or at least allowing them some sort of path to get out of the fucked up situation that they're in right now. In the same way that, like, I don't really justify Russia, you know, bombing and and killing innocent Ukrainian civilians. But we also can't act like Ukraine and the Western powers influencing and controlling Ukraine have exhausted all sorts of peaceful um, means to try to de-escalate the conflicts there. Um, you know, we, we definitely need to hold world leaders and nations to higher standards and you know uh, and that definitely applies very strongly to israel yeah so i made a, a post on twitter the other day that said uh you know a lot of conservatives say anti-white racism is like the new is the most like systemic racism we have now or it's like the most accepted form of racism I don't think that's true. I think that is probably number two. But number one is definitely, uh, you know, Zionism, like racism against the Palestinians is definitely the most accepted form of racism throughout America. You know, I mean, it's um, completely normalized and it's institutionalized. And it's kind of the closest thing to white supremacy that exists in the middle east because i mean not all israelis are white but a lot of them are a lot of them are white jews from europe and america who are just ethnically cleansing their brown muslim arabic neighbors you know and so it's like um i don't know that it seems like it should be sort of a liberal cause but you know it it barely is like it is with some people on the left but it's um i don't know it's pretty it's not like this is even disguised you know it's not even disguised well it's just so hammered into hammered into us through propaganda that it's okay that nobody cares about it yeah and, and to be clear like i think some of what happens is that people just they're not libertarians and they have a very unlibertarian view of war and some people just sort of are callous to Oh, well, while there's war, innocent people are going to get caught up in the crossfire. I mean, so for one, it's like just on a general level, we need to push back against that because that is just like Stockholm Syndrome, brainwashed, statist bullshit. Like, no, <laughs> we we need to, no matter, again, no matter what conflict it is, no matter what side it is, no matter what other geopolitical, you know, factors we need to also be pulling out and calling to light. We, we need to first and foremost lead with the, like, it's just absolute bullshit in all instances to initiate violence against peaceful people, full stop. Doesn't matter whether they're walking down the street and all they have is some weed in their pocket. Doesn't matter if it's a gay couple who just wants to, you know, get married and, and live together. Doesn't matter if it's, you're at, you know, there's a foreign nation who is, you know, invaded your borders. Go ahead and defend yourself and try to bring an end to the resolu- the, the conflict. But you can't justify kill- killing innocent civilians in the crossfire. 
You just can't. And you can't justify it by blaming the evil. It's like, oh, well, they're willing to stoop to this evil, so we have to stoop to an even worse evil back. I mean, it's. I mean, the, the only thing good I can say about Israel is that they're holding back to some extent because if they really wanted to, they could really just wipe them all out. And it, and in some ways, I don't know. If you look at some of the living conditions of the Palestinians, it almost would be more humanitarian if they just wiped them all out because what's going on there is, it's, you know, just as bad as what's going on in Yemen. It's just as bad as what's going on, you know, starting to go on in, uh, you know, places. I mean, in Ukraine, anywhere where war happens. One thing you can be sure of is that the people in power benefit and that the people, the civilians getting crushed underneath are are suffering. Um, you know, I, I think there's, unfor- I mean, if we want to talk about white privilege, you kind of mentioned this too. If we want to talk about white privilege, white privilege is people, white liberals clutching their pearls over like New Hampshire making some dumb tweets that even I thought were maybe not that great while not giving an, a flying fuck about, you know, kids starving to death in Yemen because of our foreign policy or Palestinians crying over the charred corpses of their parents because of, you know, John McCain style foreign policy. It's like, you know what? Like we gotta have, a, we gotta have some, some perspective and, you know, as a Christian, I'm especially, you know, motivated by Jesus's call to, you know, that you, what you've done to the least of these, he done unto me. But fuck, like, you don't need to be a Christian to look at these pictures of, of, of all the devastation that our military causes and that the Israel, Israeli military causes with the backing of our financial aid and our military to just look at that and go like, nah, man, like that, you know, if we're going to, oppose what happened in the Holocaust and oppose it in a meaningful way. We got to oppose this now. We got to hold Israel to a to a to a higher standard to be like no, no. You you got to work out peace. You got to treat these people as if they were your own or 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 let them leave or or something. But you can't you can't keep going on in the status quo like it is right now because you're initiating the next Holocaust on the graves of the last of the last one. And that's just just fucking bullshit. So last thing I wanted to talk about, I think we're going to have a little bit of disagreement here from <clears throat> um, discussions we had offline. But <clears throat> excuse me, um, I think <clears throat> excuse me, I think the entire like intellectual dark web was basically um, basically just a Zionist trap from all angles. So you have like Sam Harris, who's an atheist. And then you have, um, Dave Rubin, who's like a classical liberal progressive turned like, you know, more libertarian dude who eventually became more conservative. And then you have Jordan Peterson, um, and then you even have like Michael Malice, who kind of dabbled in those circles a little bit. Um, basically, everybody who was in that movement was a Zionist from like every angle imaginable. And um, 
you know, I mean, like Sam Harris would always criticize Muslims for just being like the most disgusting animals on the face of the earth and just like, you know, having the, the worst belief system that would drive people to do crazy stuff. But he would never talk about the Israelis and how they treat the Palestinians. Never. He'd sometimes talk about Christianity, but he would never talk about Judaism. Um, you got the same thing from Michael Malice. Uh, you have the same thing from like uh, from Dave Rubin. And then you have definitely the same thing from Jordan Peterson. And um, I made a tweet earlier today. Um, I probably could have worded it better, but it was, you know, basically people are have blamed Sam Harris's downfall from grace on his lack of religion, where Jordan Peterson, I know he's like given some weird answers about whether or not he actually believes in God in the past. Although I think he does now, like some of his more recent statements, he's, basically a christian at this point um he has said like a lot of dumb shit about censorship and about israel lately and a lot of people have just been kind of blindsided by it and i almost feel like i'm seeing the same thing that happened to sam harris a few years ago happening like three years in lag you know behind him happening to jordan peterson and I just don't like really have any respect for any of that movement anymore. Cause that's something that I had really been sucked into like in 2016, 2017, that was where like all my podcasting that I was listening to was coming out of that hub. And um, when I had James Lindsay on my show, we actually talked about this, how like the new atheist movement was just like a trap. It was just a trap to get people thinking in really collectivist terms about everything. And I kind of feel like that whole thing, just ended up, you know, being a trap for everybody. But you, you have a more favorable opinion of Jordan Peterson. So, um, what do you think? Where do you disagree with me? Yeah. So, yeah, Jordan Peterson obviously isn't a libertarian, and sure, you know, we can we can we can start off with agreement there. And and Jordan Peterson definitely, you know, it's way closer to a mainstream take on Zionism and Israel and foreign policy than, uh, you know, closer to that than a libertarian. Although, you know, he's been on some libertarian podcasts and, you know, been exposed to libertarian ideas. And I don't think he's there yet, but I've, he, he's definitely interacted with, with people and not been closed off to those ideas. So I think one thing I need to start out with Jordan Peterson in sort of defending him. Uh, oh, wait, by the way, I just got to throw in the, the other guy is Ben Shapiro, obviously. Like, I, that was the other guy I meant to mention, but obviously kind of the same angle. So keep going, though. Sorry about that. Um, Throw in in terms of... what do you, I did, uh, Oh, he was just like another one of those figures who... Oh, okay, in yeah. That in in, in the IDW, space. yeah. Yeah. No. Um, so... Jordan Peterson, if you listen to his work, one of his biggest concerns is the danger of ideological possession. And because he thinks if, once you become an ideologue, you're no longer thinking and coming up with your own ideas. You're just echoing the ideas of your ideology. And I think that's 100% true. And I think his... To, to whatever extent he's had an aversion to libertarianism is because a lot of the libertarians he's in, he's encountered have been way more of like the, you know, super autistic 
uh, ide- ideological libertarians who just kind of like, you know, for them it is their religion and they push it that way. And so Jordan's like, you know, more like, well, okay, I kind of see what you're saying, but politics isn't like my specialty and economics isn't my specialty. I'd want to study it more. I'd want to see someone who has a different economic or political bend to you here to provide meaningful pushback towards you and et cetera. So, um, you know, Peterson has definitely, I, I know it's funny I'm saying this because like, I know it's not like uh, the, it's not a clenching defense because it applies to people like Blake Masters too. But Peterson has read like some Austrian stuff. I mean, he's read, um, you know, Human Action. He's read Choice. He had Bob Murphy on his show. So he's he's not, you know, completely... Uh, adverse to all this so there's yeah he's definitely not a libertarian but at the same point i want to you know i think there is overlap and i think a lot of his pushback comes more from just the fear of ideological possession and that his focus is much more on like psychology and culture and politics ties into that but he's i think his work intersects with libertarian ideas a lot but it's not overt and so because he's not, like, really speaking our exact language, I think people don't see that. When it comes to, to Zionism and whatnot, I mean, obviously, he's, you know, he had that interview with, or the conversation, he sat down with, like, Ben Shapiro and Niam Nadu. Netanyahu, or, yeah. Yeah, Nadu, and, uh, you know, he's uh, also had that recent take about people on Twitter, um, you know, just, like, being depersoned if they're not paying the $8 a month. So... I can actually defend that one more than I can defend his, his Zionism. I think his Zionism is partly a product of who he surrounded himself with. You know, he's surrounded by, you know, Ben Shapiro and, and you know, Daily Wire people and stuff. And, you know, his his new thing, like his new series on Exodus, he's got like, what's his name? Uh, Dennis Prager on there with him and, mm-hmm. and, and, and stuff. So, I mean, he's surrounded by a bunch of hardcore Zionists. So it's not, it's not surprising. I will say... You know, Jordan does have a somewhat libertarian view on on war. If you ever uh, have the time, go watch his response to like the Russian Ukraine conflict and the videos he's put out there. Like he's yeah, been yeah, hardcore. I've seen some of them. Yeah, he's been hardcore. Like you know, what the fuck are we doing? Like you know, pushing for World War Three. Like the 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 first response we should have had from the get go, if our leaders led worth a damn, was finding any possible way we could to end military conflict, to find peace, to, you know, give consent, you know, and he's even said like, we need to like give concessions to Russia. And when he's gotten pushback from his like, you know, IEW neocon people, he's like, well, what's the, what's the alternative, right? Like we either have world war three or what, we're going to go to war against Russia and they're going to lose and they're just going to go home and they're going to just accept it. You know what I mean? He's like, you know, or we're going to go put our troops on the ground there. He's like, you're not being realistic. So I think with P- Peterson, it's probably much more just a like general repeating what's around him. And just, I don't think he's really looked into that area with a lot of uh, detail yet. So I don't, I don't know. I think with all those things said, I think with his overlap into some libertarian ideas and exposure to them, and I think with the fact that I know that he typically is, at least for someone in his camp, someone who tends to be a lot more questionable of war and a very 
you know, critical of the the dangers of like, you know, like he he's studied intensely in, intensely, um, like Soviet era like um, art and and literature and stuff from like and and like all the atrocities that have happened. So he's very much aware of what can go wrong with war. So I don't know. I I think to equate his sort of like tacit support of Zionism just from his associations and to say like, well, he's, he's the same sort of Zionist that like Penn Shapiro is or, or others are. I don't think that's quite fair. And, See, and I think that as... is, I, I don't think he's a tacit supporter of it. Like he was calling Thomas Massey. I can't remember if he called him an anti-Semite. I think he might've for not supporting uh, iron dome funding. Like he, I mean, he attacked him like Ben Shapiro attacking Ron Paul back in 2008. And um, I didn't see that. So he's like, did you one. see the video of him crying on stage talking about how Israel's the city on a hill? And like, I mean, it it goes pretty deep. Like, it's not just tacit uh, support based on his yeah, associations. I mean, he's a lot more of like from his biblical studies and and, and the sort of like you know, archetypical role that Jerusalem and Israel plays in in the old Old Testament um narratives and stuff and yeah. I mean I, I think he's making an error, obviously, but I I don't think I don't know. I, it, it's also fair to say that I think that Peterson's also a mixed bag since he came back from his uh recovery from, from you know, his benzos and stuff and I, I think he's definitely gotten caught up in the culture war a little bit and he's gotten a bit more angry. He's, he's, you know, not immune to ideological possession. So I, I think he tries to avoid it, but I think he might not be aware to some extent how much he's falling into it with his new crowd. But I think he's, you know, behaving his incentives a little bit more in my opinion than he is a diehard, you know, bleeding heart Zionist but that's that's just my impression and I, I think also it's like even if I was going to grant that he is a really bad Zionist it's like again that's not really the focus of his work you know I, I don't view him like he's not going out there like someone like Ben Shapiro and like literally on a daily basis shilling for Israel like you know, uh, Jordan Peterson might have said some things here and there, but that's not. I don't know. His, that's not his. <laughs> if you, I mean, I listen to I listen to to Jordan Peterson, you know, pretty regularly, and that's not like the focus of his everyday mm-hmm. content in the way that like other people's content tends to veer towards that a lot. Um, Peterson's a lot more focused on, you know, approaching uh, things from a psychological angle, pushing back against. Uh, things on the left right now. Um, there's a lot of a lot of other issues besides Zionism that he's got a very libertarian or libertarian adjacent position on. I think that comparing him to Sam Harris is a, is just like from three years ago. I don't even think Sam Harris was that good three years ago. I mean, he was good on. Oh, free I don't speech. either. But I'm just saying. Like, like I was saying, like <laughs> Sam Harris was was good on free speech, and not even that good on free speech. He was just like he got canceled for criticizing Islam, so he was just less 
you know, bad on free speech than your typical leftist atheist was at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, uh, but no, I don't, I don't think, I mean, one, one thing I want to be careful of is that like, I don't think that someone has to be a perfect libertarian for us to learn from them and for us to think that they're a, a positive force in society. If, right, if I, I don't either. If, if I saw Peterson literally every day, like what motivates him is Zionism. He's out there playing cover for the atrocities that Israel's, you know, done and, and, and literally just like feeding everyone the same line of propaganda and BS that like, again, someone like a Ben Shapiro does. Ben Shapiro is someone I have a, a harder time. Like I well, used to like Ben Shapiro a little bit back when I was an early, like moderate, becoming libertarian type and i wasn't as quite into foreign uh like the stuff in in because i even though i was always anti-war i never looked into the israel stuff much until i became a libertarian and i just kind of still held on to like my upbringing in sort of like just the pro-israel rhetoric and it wasn't until i encountered like scott horton and people like well what i was gonna say is i actually know people who came to libertarianism because of ben shapiro and like he was someone I listened to for a little while, you know, on my journey. So I, I don't think I'm not saying I'm certainly not saying we should cancel anybody or like disregard everything that anybody says. Um, I've never felt that way about anybody. I just think like. We have a problem and I don't mean just libertarians, I mean, people in general have a problem with just creating heroes where there isn't one basically or creating like creating idols i guess if for a good term for a good religious term you know like so i mean i felt like they did libertarians did that with blake masters like i feel like now that everything's over people should be willing to admit like okay like yeah he was a little bit better on several issues but really wasn't all that we were trying to make him out to be like i have had to go through that with tulsi like i realized tulsi isn't really that great like she's good on a few things but you know and i've felt this way for a while about her now but it was a thing i had to go through where i was like you know yeah she really did suck on a lot of this stuff that i was trying to overlook because i just really wanted somebody who was like you know the next thing that we wanted yeah and i feel like people do that with jordan peterson and i I sort of did it with Sam Harris for a while. Like it's been years now, but a while back, like I really defended him a lot. And then eventually it was like, okay, I just, this is so stupid. I can't defend this anymore. And like, I'm, but I don't think like Sam Harris never says anything that makes any sense. Like sometimes he does. I mean, he's gotten really, really bad lately, but you know, I'm certainly never saying we should like, I I mean, Kissinger is saying sane stuff about the war in Ukraine now. So like, it's not like you can ever like fully discount anything anyone says. Yeah, I mean, I guess I just don't see, and I, this could be just my bias as a Christian. I just don't see, um, what Sam Harris contributed. Even like, if I was going to like put put an atheist perspective on it, like I don't think Sam Harris ever made atheist arguments that were unique. I think, I think there are other atheists who are more impressive than Sam Harris. And I don't think Sam Harris really did anything that original other than like criticize like the, the the thing like the two things like the only one thing that Sam Harris was ever good on was not being 
unwilling to criticize Islam and then being mm-hmm. tacitly a bit better on free speech because he got canceled for it. But that's basically it. And I think he's betrayed a lot of that over the last few years. And I don't think his betrayal of his one good thing can be equated to Jordan Peterson. Cause I, th- I think Jordan Peterson is way more unique in what his contributions are both to religion and the culture and politics. I think it's, it's way more unique. I think he's way more of an original thinker. And I think Jordan Peterson done a lot, done a lot more to a help people and B I think on balance, Jordan Peterson has been a net good for uh, the libertarian cause. Mm-hmm. If you put it all on balance, even up until today, I think that Jordan Peterson has been a net good for the libertarian cause. Not that he's a libertarian or that every stance he has is perfectly libertarian, but I think he's done way more to promote things that are either explicitly or implicitly libertarian in people's belief systems and mindsets and whatnot um, and in his books and stuff than, than, you know, his shitty takes about Israel have done to the detriment of it. Um, you know, I can't think of many other things that Jordan Peterson's really bad on. You know, there are things that he's not great on, but I think, I think this recent thing on Zionism is the worst, obviously. The whole thing about, like, the—it's not as important as the Zionist point, but his thing about the Twitter thing, I don't—I I actually think there's a case to be made there. And, like, his, his argument is coming mainly from when you make something free and there's no cost to using it, it it's sort of like— and this to me is kind of tangential to libertarian thought is like, it's kind of like the tragedy of the commons, right? It's like when something's just free to use and everyone can use it equally um, without any cost whatsoever, you know, is that really a free market mechanism? And is that really like the best way to do free speech versus, you know, $8 a month is not like unaffordable. And if, and if it costs something to pay into it, the incentive structures change a little bit. I don't think they change for the negative. I do think there's an argument to be made they can change for the positive. Now, that's looking at that in a vacuum, not, you know, we, we don't have time to get into Elon Musk and, you know, all the all the problems there. Oh, shit, I lost... No, you're there. You okay. just froze for like my, a second. My internet like cut out and came back. Um, so, but yeah, I don't think that. Uh, I think that you can make an argument that there is, uh, good reason, even like libertarian reasons, to make Twitter not free and to make the free version not work as well as the paid version. Like, I don't think like, you know, e- even if I could be convinced off of that, I don't think it's like. I'm not going to crucify Peterson for that take the way I'll go after. Like, I will go after him hard for his Zionism. I'm just like, I think that if Peterson was actually meaningfully challenged on it by the right people, I don't think he'd be ideologically possessed to hold on to it the same way someone like Ben Shapiro is going to be. But I, I guess, wrong. yeah, I guess time will tell. Like, I guess where I am with him is because I used to be a fan of his too. A few years ago, I'm at the point where whenever he says something dumb, I'm not surprised anymore. I'm just like, man, 
it's Jordan Peterson where I see everyone else still shocked. Like how could Jordan Peterson say something like this? And I'm like, that's just because people fell into hero worship, which is definitely a danger. Like you need to just be able to with anybody take the good and, and leave the bad and not make idols out of people. I think, I think some people definitely did that with Jordan and that's not Mm -hmm. good. You know, I mean, I think, uh, I think there are legitimate criticisms to make about him and we should, you know, it same thing with anyone, whether it's Jordan Peterson, whether it's Dave Smith, whether it's uh Ron Paul even, you know, like mm-hmm. we can criticize people. We can we can acknowledge you know, the good, but also criticize the bad. But with all those people, I still think they're a net good. You know what I mean? So it's a difference between you know, if if people are up like I'm not trying to defend Jordan Peterson as a as a he's not a sacred cow. I just think that it's not fair to equate him to Sam Harris. I think he's done a lot more good than that. All right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was looking at it from maybe, I mean, I was looking at it from less of a libertarian perspective and just a personal perspective. But um, when you're, I mean, when you're talking about specifically like libertarianism, I think you're probably right. Like he's probably pushed more people toward that frame of thought. Um there's there's such a there's such an overlap between Jordan Peterson's lectures and talks about um, personal responsibility and natural hierarchies and sort of like um, especially like in his f- first book Twelve Rules for Life when he goes into like the biological foundation for um, for um, competence hierarchies within within nature and how you can't even act in society in, in life without forming uh, a hierarchy of sorts. And there's such a correlation and overlap between that and like praxeology and Austrian economics and stuff. And it's so, it, it, I mean, it definitely for people like me, at least like reading Jordan Peterson is sort of like what really purged the, a lot of the left leaning like garbage floating in my mind, it purged that crap out of there. Um, it made me a lot more open to then reading Rothbard and, and Mises and all that. So I, I think. Yeah, know, it's and, funny and, because one of the people for me who kind of opened my mind to libertarianism was Bill Maher. <laughs> like, it's just <laughs> because I was coming from like this hardcore, like Mike Huckabee style, like evangelical right wing bullshit. Hmm. And I remember he was one of the first guys I started watching that made me kind of question my conservatism. And then I actually saw Ron Paul on his show. Um, I think it was a replay because it was from like 2008. And I was like, wow, this guy really makes a lot of sense. And then I saw Rand Paul come on Bill Maher's show um, because he actually he almost endorsed Rand Paul for president in 2015. A lot of people forget about that. But that's a thing that almost happened. So Hmm. it's kind of it's very weird, like what people draw out of different commentators and like what leads them down different paths. So, I mean, not everyone's drawn to the same thing. So I guess that's an important thing to remember. Yep. But yeah, well, it's late. Um, I think we've canceled ourselves enough for one night. We'll see how this, we'll see if this one stays up. I think it ended up being pretty similar to the one we did last time. Um, some of the discussion we got into. So I don't know. I think this is something we should be allowed to talk about. And I think you should be allowed to talk about this at an even deeper level than we're allowed to on YouTube. Cause I think um, talking about this type of stuff just draws 
Um, I don't know. It just it it kind of distills a lot of the dumb bullshit that can fester in these areas when you're when conversation isn't allowed to kind of bring more sunlight to these areas. So I think it's something we should do. But anyway, Jacob, uh, give us your plugs. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Biblical Anarchy. Um, as always, you can go to Daniel318.com or look up the Daniel3 podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And that's my OG podcast. I have recently, I'll plug my new podcast, which I started just last month with the Libertarian Christian Institute, and that is the Biblical Anarchy Podcast. So if you want to check that out, that's biblicalanarchypodcast.com. And again, the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, you can search that on you know, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that. And uh, if you want to hear you know, more of that kind of content, that's where you can go for that. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks for having me on, Reed. And uh, uh, hopefully we don't get canceled too hard after this one. I think <laughs> I think this was a tamer version of the other conversation we had. <laughs> it was good. All right, guys, uh, I will see you tomorrow night at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. we got the Four Horsemen and Pat McFarlane is our horseman guest. So there's definitely going to be lots of State Department propaganda being broken down and dismantled so check that out and uh josh smith coming on the show sometime this week and then uh i think next saturday i got so a week from today i got adam green coming on the show we're going to talk about religion that's going to be a really interesting episode and i've got some emails out to some people trying to get more big guests on the show uh i kind of put a post out on youtube the other day about how things have kind of died down here since may like a lot of the exponential growth kind of stopped but i'm uh really trying to get some of those people on and get some interesting conversations going so thanks for your continued support please like this video if you're new here please subscribe please share this video on platforms i am on twitter now but i didn't get reinstated i just got like 2500 followers on a small account so definitely don't have the reach i used to if you guys would share these videos on facebook uh Twitter, whatever, that would be greatly appreciated. And we will catch you guys on the next episode.